Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to the Moving to Live podcast. As you heard in the intro, we are a podcast about movement. We are for uh, movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados. Basically, anybody who thinks that movement is important, wants to learn more, wants to geek out with interesting people, with cool stories who are doing interesting things. The hardest part for me for the podcast isn't finding the guests, but asking you, the listeners, to, hey, if you like it, Go to whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Leave us a positive review so we can keep bringing this to you. I'm kind of excited about tonight's guest. The interesting thing, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts that we do, is we stalk people on social media. And I say stalking in the most positive way, not that we're trying to be creepy. But we just look for people who are doing interesting things. And today's guest, I was going through some of the blogs that I read, and I saw that there was an article on MoveNet and the physical therapy practice. And I've interviewed a couple of physical therapists and I've worked with physical therapists and doing something that is atypical in the physical therapy world is often difficult because if they're getting reimbursed by insurance companies, sometimes if they go kind of outside what the normal bounds are or the typical standards of treatment are, then the insurance companies say, hey, we don't want to pay. So we are today talking to my first guest that I've ever had from New Mexico. Mm -hmm. we're, we're talking to Dr. Jenny Ploss, who is a physical therapist. She works with a range of orthopedic clients at a Lankford Sports Medicine and Physical Therapy in Albuquerque. She is a former soccer player, and she does something with most of her clients called Move Nat, which we're going to find out a little bit, and we're going to find out about her story and then what she does professionally. So, Jenny, thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Thank you for inviting me. So I guess my first question before we get into finding out your story and how you ended up as a physical therapist, I bet there's a pretty good story there, is if you see somebody and they happen to be surfing over the internet and they've seen what MoveNet is, if you could give the 30 to 40 second spiel, what is MoveNet? Sure. 
So MoveNet is a movement practice that is based on the, the full range of human movement skills rather than animal movement skills um, that is built to be able to progress someone from the very basic movements up into very complex movements in order to be good at moving through life. And I would suspect as a physical therapist, many of the patients that you see don't move very well. Yeah. Yeah. We see it a lot. We see, or don't move very well in some ways and move very well in others. It's kind of how, how we all are. And we're going to come back in two weeks and we're going to find out more about that and how you integrate that into a physical therapy practice. But as I've mentioned before, part of the interesting aspect of moving to live is find out the story of movement professionals. How do they get to where they are here? So I guess my first question to ask, and I always ask this for people that I interview, are you an Albuquerque native? And if not, what was it that brought you to Albuquerque? Uh, I'm not technically Albuquerque native. My mom grew up here, and then I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and moved back to Albuquerque for physical therapy school. Obviously, from reading your bio, I have an advantage over some of our listeners, and I know that you're very active even now as an adult. And what I always find interesting with people that I interview for both Moving to Live and the sister podcast, Fit Lab Pittsburgh, is finding out their movement story. So I know some people, they move from childhood and either their parents push them into activities or mom and dad say, get out of the house and don't come back for two or three hours because you're driving me crazy. And then other people, they get into movement either because they meet somebody who has an influence on them, maybe a roommate in college, or they have the true college experience, the freshman or sophomore year, and suddenly realize that, wow, I'm not doing very well physically. I feel like crap. I need to do something. So which aspect do you fall in? Were you a college student who discovered movement, or were you somebody who moved from a very young age? I, I was the move from a very young age. Yeah, I started playing soccer when I was four or five. My parents learned how to play with me in order to have or have, let us have a coach. And, um, and then I played soccer pretty much my whole life. That was what I did. Um, I also tried a bunch of other sports in between seasons for soccer. Um, but that's, that's, that's who I was. I was Jenny Smith, the soccer player, <laughs> and played that through college as well. And I'm always curious on this too, were your parents active, whether it was organized sports or out hiking, walking? I actually interviewed somebody a couple of weeks ago who said, well, my parents weren't really active, but I grew up on a farm, so they were active, so they didn't work out, but they were still in very good shape. So were they active or were they kind of more, they just became knowledgeable about soccer so they could help you? Um, they were active in a different way. So they became knowledgeable about soccer in order to help me. And actually, my dad now still plays at the age of 65. Um, and my, but my parents have always backpacked. My dad fly fishes. Um, they hike. They run. They have mountain bikes that are nicer than mine now. And, yeah. and then five years ago, they started rock climbing as well, which is my, my big passion. And now they, they are retired. They climb outside more than I get to. So, yeah, so they're still, they're still very active. It's that thing called work that really interferes with the movement activities that you want to do. It really does sometimes. <laughs> and I'm curious in the same aspect, kind of combining the way you grew up and also your profession now. I know the big thing in the movement field is we don't want 
uh, kids to specialize. And I've had a couple of uh, different guests on here. And depending on who you listen to, they may say, I don't want somebody to specialize until they're 11 years old. Or in some cases, they may say even older. Yeah. Looking back at your career, did you over-specialize, do you think? Or, and kind of do as I say, not as I do? Or did you think that you maybe participated in enough variety of activities that it's the same sort of thing that you would do for your children, or if you end up coaching a sport, you would recommend for your players? Yeah, um, I think I over-specialized, and I ended up with injuries. I tore both of my ACLs and meniscus. I've had several surgeries because of it, um, and, and that's ultimately how I found out about physical therapy. But um, I, I have two kids, one's six and one's two, and I believe that they should not specialize as much as I did. I did do a lot of different stuff, which I think has helped in my movement competence overall. Um, and then also that helps with physical therapy and, and movement training. I, I've felt different movements, and so it's easier to teach them. But, um, but yeah, no, I would, I would have my kids play one season per year rather than three seasons per year plus extra, you know? Yeah, too much, too early. Yeah. So you've kind of described you've grown up, you were active, you were... Jenny, the soccer player. <laughs> At what point did you realize that, hey, you know, I'm probably good enough to play for soccer in college. And if I know my college is correctly, UC Davis is a division one school. So you probably got some money to play. So it wasn't like what I say with my soccer career is my soccer career ended as a two year division three JV player, okay. which means, which just means I wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the time, uh, UC Davis was Division Two. I was there right in the transition to, to Division One. I did get money to play, but um, you know we were Division Two. Um, and I think I would say that my transition to college soccer was when I decided that I was not good enough to play on the Olympic team or the women's team. Right? That's what I wanted to do growing up, and then decided that um, actually I have some other interests, so maybe I'll pursue some of those and go Division Two instead. So. How, did, how did you realize that, hey, I'm not good enough to play at that literally elite, elite level? Yeah, um, I think part of it was, so I used to play on the Olympic development team. And um, I mostly, I think I decided that I wasn't as kind of cutthroat intense in competition with other people. I wanted to be really good. Uh, but I don't know that I wanted to be that much better than anyone else. and so. It just wasn't wasn't the space for me. Yeah. Would it be I correct? I like to think I could have made it, <laughs> but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I still harbor the hopes that there's some Olympic sport out there that I might be able to make, and I'm 50 years old. You know, there are senior Olympics. I'm starting to harbor hopes for senior Olympics. I'm almost thinking maybe dual citizenship someplace. <laughs> yeah. And I'm totally joking when I say that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like then that you were a little different than a lot of other student athletes in college and that you went to college and you already kind of recognized, okay, college is, for lack of a better term, not to downplay beer leagues, summer leagues, et cetera, but college was kind of the end of the line. That was going to be as good as you were going to be. Yeah. And I know a lot of college athletes that I've talked to, a lot of people that I've talked to have said they didn't really gain that recognition until maybe their senior year of high school, or excuse me, senior year of college, or maybe college was over. And then all of a sudden they realized, oh, it's over. 
Right. Uh, I think my favorite story on that is I interviewed Don Moxley, who is a Big Ten heavyweight wrestling champion. And I asked him, how did you decide not to go to the or try to continue to go and be a world champion and Olympian? He said, because the best heavyweight in the world was also from the U.S. And the U.S. only takes one guy. And I knew I couldn't beat him. Oh, yeah. So there, 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 there is, it sounds both in Don's case and yours, your case, a sense of reality. Mm-hmm. So you go to college, and as what are you majoring in college? Did you know uh, already that, hey, I think I might want to become a physical therapist, or did your knee injuries come after high school in the college setting? Uh, they started at the end of high school and continued through college. Um, I had several, several injuries throughout college as well. Um, I studied biology growing up in Los Alamos where everyone has a PhD and does science. That's what I decided I should do. And I really liked biology and I, I love learning. And so I thought I wanted to be, you know, a molecular biologist and then a geneticist. And then, and then I decided that that was a lot of lab time. So then I thought maybe I'll do environmental science and I did some bird research. Uh, then that was just a lot of writing grants. And so so then I just traveled for a while after college and decided maybe this is what I do until I figure out who I want to be when I grow up, until I kind of remembered physical therapy. And if I'm remembering my uh, prerequisites correctly for physical therapy, a biology major is a good major to meet most of the physical therapy school prerequisites. Yes. Yeah, I had most of them done. I had to do a couple of anatomy and physiology classes um, Yeah, before I could apply. I always find it interesting how people decide what school they go to for their last degree or for, or for their profession. I know when I went for my PhD, I made a list of like 15 or 20 schools and the gentleman who was my mentor said, okay, now realistically look at these and which ones are you not going to get into because you've got no research experience. Uh-huh. So, how, yeah. so I, I recall having the thought, it's like, wow, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. How did you decide where you're going to go to physical therapy school once you finished the traveling and moving around? Um, so I, I love New Mexico, and I was thinking I would probably live somewhere around here. Um, so I would apply to UNM because that's, that's where I'm from. But um, I also applied to Flagstaff, to NAU, University, or Northern Arizona University, um, mainly because they ha- have a really good reputation for their physical therapy program and because I've lived in Flagstaff before. I love it there. So mine was mainly based on where I could live and love living there. And then I researched programs as well. Um, UNM and NAU both have really good, well-rated programs. Um, and I ended up desi- deciding on UNM because of the feel of the people in the program and how the interviews went. Um, it just seemed like it was a big family at UNM, which is why I love New Mexico and Albuquerque. That's, that is what I think makes Albuquerque special, is that family feel. So I went based on where I felt really supported. And you mentioned a few minutes ago that you became interested in physical therapy because of your career as an injured athlete. <clears throat> I know that there's a lot of research out there now that even didn't exist six or seven years ago on ACL injuries, knee injuries, female athletes, and specifically soccer and basketball players. Right. Knowing what you know now, <laughs> do you think that after your first injury, your subsequent injuries 
were related to that first injury or were they distinct elements that if you'd never hurt your knee the first time, you still would have had these subsequent injuries? Um, I think that they were separate injuries. However, knowing what we do now, we would have handled the first injury better, which may have prevented the second one. You know, there, um, I like to think that that's the case. Um, I also know that at the time I was an eight, well, 17 and then 18 year old, you know, underdeveloped child still. Right. And you feel indestructible. And I wanted to get back to playing competitive soccer as soon as possible. So I would have had to have had a very strong willed physical therapist and doctor that would have kept me from going back so quickly. So, um, I don't know. I hope that, yeah, that our research now can, would have been able to prevent at least the second injury and ideally the first one, because knowing the way that I moved at that time, I, I had that, you know, the classic, what we call genu valgum, where my knee collapsed in when I turned or jumped. And that's one of the, the classic kind of precursors that, and then having a previous ACL injury, we would have known that I need to work on my movement skills much more than someone else. So. And I know I'm going to forget his name. You may know it. Uh, a gentleman from Cincinnati I heard speak at the NSCA conference a few years ago who does a lot of research with ACL prevention. His comment was, bring in an exercise <laughs> of some sort. Uh, ACL prevention exercises is part of the warm-up for men and women starting when they're like four or five years old when you started playing soccer. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, we have all sorts of injury prevention movements, and most of them are given as warm-ups because you're more likely to do them more, more often if it's a warm-up rather than a separate workout. So there's like the FIFA 11 Plus, if you've heard of that. That's, mm -hmm. that's the biggest one right now. Yeah. yeah. Any of those things done when you were a soccer player, when you were 8, 9, 10, 11, 12? No, no way. <laughs> no, we, we worked on skills. We worked on speed. Um, I had really great ball control and I could, you know, I, I could, I could strategize and I could not control my legs for the life of me. <laughs> and you met, you mentioned that your big love now is rock climbing. Still play mm -hmm. soccer, still play soccer at all? You know, I love soccer too much to be smart about it. So I tend to, I tend to say yes too many times and then, and then I overdo it. So I don't play soccer except with my kids. Um, yeah, no, now it's rock climbing and then move nut has become a big part of my life. And then I run and bike and backpack and, and stuff. We're talking with Dr. Jenny Ploss. She's a physical therapist who is involved with orthopedic rehab and something called move nut. She's described her path where she went from a overachiever as a soccer player or overactive <laughs> soccer player. I'm not sure what the correct terminology is to a college soccer player to backpacking and going around the country to physical therapy school. So you graduate from physical therapy school and I know there are a variety of paths that you can go and you can always go and get a PhD and become a researcher. You can go into a clinic, you can go to some universities and work in athletics. What was the transition once you graduated from physical therapy school to finding out this is what I want to do? And I mean, I know as physical therapists, there are multiple specialties everywhere from women's health to orthopedics to geriatrics. Right. Um, yeah. So I was interested in both orthopedics and, um, and pediatrics. And so I got part-time jobs in both. I did 
I worked part-time doing evaluations in in-home care for children with developmental delays. And then I worked part-time at my current clinic, Langford Sports and Physical Therapy, where I work with adults and some kids with orthopedic injuries or musculoskeletal pain. Yeah. And um, I just kind of knew that was where I was drawn to in physical therapy school was those two kind of components. I really like working with families and kids, and I really like the structure and kind of following pathways to determine or to um, to solve a puzzle in someone's pain or body or how they're moving uh, that we do in orthopedics. So I've just kind of been there ever since. Any other areas of curiosity in physical therapy when things quiet down with uh, with two young kids that you say, I might want to explore this also? Yeah. You know, I think that I, I actually have, I think I would rather specialize a little bit more within orthopedics than branch out. I'm always interested in neurology, but I think there's so much to learn that um, I would rather delve deeper into orthopedics. So because I'm a rock climber, I treat a lot of the rock climbers in Albuquerque. And so I'm working towards specialization of the wrist, hand, elbow, shoulder. And um, yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of the path that I've chosen just because there's too much infor- information out there to know everything about everything. And I think that's kind of one of my superpowers is knowing my limitations. And so I would like to specialize in one part of the body and still be able to treat other people, but, you know, kind of be the go-to person for my, my peer group for the, for the arm. I think that's a great comment that there's too much information out there to know everything. Maybe that's mm-hmm. one reason, one reason I'm doing moving to live. Cause I get to pick people who know more about things than I do and say, Hey, tell me about this. Yes. So that, so then I can be having beers or at a cocktail party and sound like I really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. We've mentioned rock climbing a couple of times also. What was your first exposure to rock climbing or how did you first find out about that? Sure. So actually my first exposure to rock climbing, um, I grew up in Los Alamos and there is rock climbing all over the place, but I did not know about it until my physical therapist, when I could not play soccer, my very first physical therapist was a climber and she took me climbing because I was kind of going crazy, not being able to run and compete. And so, um, so yeah, so she took me out for my first time and I sucked. It was like the first time that I, I could not complete something or perform or, or yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was not effective as a rock climber. And, um, and that was a, that was a good challenge for me. Um, but then I went to college and played soccer and didn't, climb until my last injury and when I decided that I should not play soccer anymore for my own longevity um, I thought well I remember really liking kind of sucking at rock climbing and it would be a good challenge so instead of spending two hours a day playing soccer I went to the climbing gym in Davis two hours a day question I always like to ask climbers that I talk to do you prefer climbing indoors or outdoors Oh, outdoors. Yes. Outdoors. Yeah. Much more. Um, having the job and children that I do, I climb more indoors now than I do outdoors, but, um, but we, we, I prefer outdoors over indoors any day. And I'm curious, do you feel that you've come fairly close to mastering climbing or is this one of those things that you're (laughs) constantly going to battle? I say that I interviewed, uh, three rivers rowing here in Pittsburgh. And one of the coaches talked about the perfect stroke Mm-hmm. And how if you get one perfect stroke when you're rowing, it's kind of the search to do that again. 
And I'm wondering if rock climbing, if there's the perfect climb or if there's the perfect uh, hold that you get, or mm-hmm. if it's something you kind of said, okay, I've done this and this is just kind of the repetitive action that I enjoy. Yeah, no, um, I think climbing, I don't know, maybe I will hit that point someday, but I have not hit, I don't think I've hit my peak yet. My husband and I have arguments about this, about whether or not we've hit our peaks. Um, I'm hoping that I will never hit my peak and I can just keep getting better and better. But, um, but no, yeah, like you can, I feel like climbing is something that you can always improve on. There's always a way to climb the routes or problems that you've already climbed better than you did. So even if you complete something, it's not like it it's just done and you never do it again. You can climb it better or, and just the movement of climbing feels, feels great. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it'll be something ideally that I just keep getting better and better at and striving for. We're talking with Jenny Ploss. She is a physical therapist in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who works primarily in primarily in orthopedics. The interesting thing and why I was attracted to interviewing her for Moving to Live is because she is doing something called MoveNat. I saw a blog post that she wrote about how she's doing that with a wide variety of patients, if I remember my reading correctly, including her 85-year-old grandmother. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to come back in two weeks and find out a little bit more about what you're doing professionally as a physical therapist because... One of the things I always say is if you're going to do something, do it better or do it differently. And I think definitely using this move Nat as a physical therapist is different from what most other physical therapists are doing. So Jenny, I want to thank you for joining Moving to Live for our first podcast. If you're enjoying this, please leave us a review on the variety of podcast players, whatever you're listening to on. And Jenny, I'm looking forward to talking to you in two weeks. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.